0: What up, y'all? Welcome to Queer Walk the Podcast, the insurgent bi-weekly audio syllabus for and by queer folks of color. I am Money, the unlicensed <laughs> mental health expert, and I'm here by myself right now. Um, I think we're going to do like this uh, off on like solo podcaster, um, us back as a team solo podcaster thing until this iteration of Nikita's job ends um and until like social distancing kind of like eases up because it's um you know it's a lot for us to for for us to be managing like her being an essential worker and me working from home and like not seeing each other to coordinate for the podcast so um i hope y'all don't get sick of me in the meantime and <laughs> i just um didn't want to leave us without another episode this week But don't worry, you'll still hear Nikita's voice on this episode. I'm going to give us actually a throwback word from her um, on May Day. So let's get into the intro and get into this episode.
1: Love your chocolate demeanor and your cocoa kisses i see your glow from a distance your vibe incite my submission i give you all of me wanna make you proud of me we see the god in all you do your light is harmony I hope you hear that on the daily because baby, you love, you
0: love. All right. So where you can find us. So you can find Queer Walk the podcast on all the things at Queer Walk Pod, P-O-D. That's Instagram, Twitter, all the at um, social media platforms. You can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Queer Walk Pod, P-O-D tumblr where it all began at queerwalk.com and you can listen to the podcast on soundcloud stitcher castbox Pocket iheart radio all the um platforms anywhere that you can get um <laughs> a podcast you can hear us except that that one that shall not be mentioned All right, so um, this is the part that feels most uh, solo podcaster when I can't hand it off to Nikita to do um, parts of this, uh, the intros to the episode. But um, ways that you can contribute to Queer Walk to keep us independent yet growing and going uh, is one of two ways. The first is by loving us out loud and doing the R's. You can rate us, review us, Request a topic or um, um, like a Queer Walk of the Week. Repost our episodes when we post. Uh, Retweet when we be out there on them Twitter streets. And reply to us. Tell us what you think of the episodes using the hashtag QueerWOC to talk all things the episode. You can also send us a Curve Chronicle um, or just, you know, some love over to QueerWalkPod at gmail.com. The second way that you can contribute to this here program is by giving us your money. Um, <laughs> you can do that one of two ways. The first way is a like single time donation at Cash App, which is dollar sign queer walk pod p o d and the way that you can become a sustainer which is just a monthly contribution as small or as large as you would like to give is at the Patreon by becoming a patron we are at patreon.com/queerwalkpod pod All right y'all I'm going to move it on along to the queer walk, queer walk, queer walk of the week segment and if you're like just discovering Queer Walk, the podcast, uh, or if you're rejoining us after a while, the Queer Walk of the Week or Queer Pock of the Week segment is where we highlight some Queer Walk or Queer Pock who is doing some dope-ass uh, things that we think that we all should know about, where we celebrate, uplift, highlight the stories of Queer Walks and Queer pocs, Um and yeah... This is the segment where we give everybody their flowers and their roses and their bread, too. Um, So, yeah. So, this episode, this is really why I wanted to um, log on and do a solo episode. Because I was like, oh, I really don't. um, It's been really hard to, like, stay consistent through all of this. Um, I miss my best friend. It's like, I don't want to do a solo episode again. But um, I really wanted to do it because, um, so, I have been trying to find things to read that aren't like textbooks, um, (laughs) uh, licensure exam study materials, or like, um, like theory books, because that's really what my library is, because that's what I've been doing the past like seven years of my life. And I don't have a lot of like fun stuff to read, right? So I was like on Instagram reading erotica because (laughs) that that was like one of the few books that I had that wasn't. Any of the above named stuff. And so this week, I wanted to highlight a, um, an incredible author who is writing, um, you know, all the like feminist icon shit, but also fiction informed by all that stuff queer um, vampire fiction. So <laughs> um, this week's Queer Walk of the Week is Jewel Gomez. Um, And I just got the book, y'all, so I will be back on live soon. Um, All right, so who is Jewel Gomez? So Jewel Gomez is an Afro-Indigenous writer, activist, and author best known for her double Lambda Literary Award-winning novel, The Gilda Stories, um, which was published by Firebrand Books. And for those of y'all who don't know, Firebrand Firebrand Books is like a badass feminist press that one of my favorite poets and lesbians of all time, Cheryl Clark, uh, was published on a lot. So, um, shout out to Firebrand Books, um, because that's how I know about that publishing um, company. They published a lot of, like, women of color when other publishing um, houses weren't publishing women of color, particularly queer women of color. So, shout out to Firebrand. So, yes, Jewel Gomez. So, I want... Let me tell y'all about the Gilda stories. So... I'm, I'm not going to spoil it because I haven't read it myself. This is just, like, the synopsis that I read about it, right? Um, I'm really excited to read it. I'm thinking about doing, like, book club-y stuff. I was talking to, like, a couple of the community contributors, and we're thinking about, like, reading it together and talking through it. So, The Gilder Stories is... So, first of all, it was Jewel's first um, novel, and it was published in 1991, And it is a story of a black bisexual woman whose powers don't, like, come to her, like, attention. She doesn't realize her powers until she uh, escapes slavery and bumps into this vampire named Gilda who is running a brothel. So So, it's, I mean, just black bisexual vampire uh bumps into a vampire running a brothel sign me up like (laughs) so it spans from um like the 1800s to the 2000s the novel and so I'm really excited to read this book I cannot believe it exists um that that Jewel wrote this book in the 90s and I'm just finding out about it now but yes I'm super super excited about reading the Gilda stories and if Y'all already know about it and, like, have gone up for the Gilda stories. Why ain't nobody tell me? Um, I think I had heard about it a while ago, um, but definitely excited to read it. So, like I said, it is a double Lambda Literary Award winner. Um, It won the Lambda Literary Award for um, Best Lesbian Fiction, and it also won the Lambda Literary Award for Best Science Fiction. So yes, double Lambda Literary Award-winning book. Um, It was adapted into a stage play that was called "Bones and Ash: A Gilder Story," Um, and it was uh, performed by the Urban Bush Women across thirteen cities. It went on tour. It so uh, Gilder Story celebrated its twentieth anniversary in two thousand eleven. I actually ordered the expanded 25th anniversary edition with uh, afterwards by none other than Alexis Pauline Gumbs, the high priestess of Queer Walk. If y'all listen to this show, y'all know how much um, we love APG over here. So I am like too happy to read this book and to learn more about Jewel. So a little bit more about Jewel Gomez. So she has... Like taught and lectured at a bunch of different universities, San Francisco State, Hunter College, Rutgers, um, New College of California, uh, The Ohio State, um, just to name a few. Uh, She's also the former executive director of the Poetry Center and the American Poetry Archives at San Francisco State University. She's worked at nonprofits. She's the former director of the literature program and the New York State Council on Arts. Uh, Just like has been writing her way into greatness like her entire life, basically. Um, She was uh, also the president of the San Francisco Public Library Commission for a while um and she's currently like working on um plays she's a playwright and is in residence at the new conservatory theater center um so yeah like just everything that you can read about her tells you that words are her passion and I love reading people who feel that way. Like Toni Morrison is one of my favorite um, authors. And words work definitely and obviously her passion. So I'm just so excited to jump into the Gilda stories. So shout out to Jewel Gomez. Afro-Indigenous, queer baddie, fucking it up. Who is giving us the queer of color fiction we deserve in these times. Um, I want to read nothing else but about uh, queer women vampires. So... Thanks for the Gilda stories. And I can't wait to get back to y'all after I read it. All righty. I'm going to moving on along to community contributors. Yeah. And the community contributors segment is the segment where we shout out y'all who make um, Queer Walk the Podcast possible. It's like... Um, Me and Nikita sort of like curated, um, but you all make it happen. So thank you all. And and this is the thank you segment where we give it back. So first of all, um, if I get this out in time, (laughs) Ramadan Mubarak to all the queer Muslims in our community out there. Cause this should drop on the first day of Ramadan uh, 2020. Let's see if I edit it in time to get it up. <laughs> but Ramadan Mubarak nonetheless. Uh, so shout out to all the queer Muslims. Also, I wanted to shout out everyone who tuned in to hear me read uh, Black Girl Love by Nandra Cat Williams on um, IG Live. So <laughs> thank y'all. I it's, it's just been, you know all the things very isolating during this time and just having y'all, um, interact with me as I read it. I, you know, like I said, I wish I had one of those, um, you know, phone sex operator voices that sound much better reading erotica, but (laughs) y'all still gave me the energy, um, to get through it. And those short stories, well, some of them, were more, you know, wet and entertaining than others. Some of them was kind of tame. They were, like, X-rated, double X-rated, and triple X-rated ones. So um, I just wanted to shout out a few of the folks who were really active on the IG Live the other night. So shout out to Ari, to T The Muse, to Orion, to Philly Noir Bravado, Bravarde, Philly Noir. Shout out to you. And to the homie Joe. Um, thank y'all for coming through uh, and uh, listening to me read Lesbian Erotica. So, we have three new patrons this episode that I want to shout out. So, shout out to Chai, Addis, and Verde for coming through and becoming patrons. And during this time, I can't understress how important that is to us that you decide to give us your Coins during a global pandemic. Thank you. And now. I show how little I know about geography. And our borders are fake shout outs. (laughs) So. um, Our borders are fake shout outs. Is where we like to highlight. Like communities outside of urban city centers. Because sometimes. Us queers like to be very. uh, uh, Metro normative. As if. Um you know, the only true way to have a queer life is to be in a big city. And we know, like, that's not the case, right? A lot of us live in um, either, like, smaller cities, rural areas, or just, like, outside of the huge metropolitan areas. So I like to shout those out and also show how much I don't know about geography. So (laughs) shout out to Claremont, California, which is on the West Coast. Brookville, Ohio, which is not on the West Coast, and High Point, North Carolina, which is on the East Coast. (laughs) No, I actually love North Carolina, so shout out to High Point. Um, And thank you all for listening. All right, so this mental moment is actually going to be kind of like a follow-up mental moment to the last mental moment I did. Um, on my solo episode, which was episode 82, don't let Rona ruin your relationships. And I just, like gave some tips for how to stay socially connected while social distancing. Um, and this time, uh, I am going to just give some like follow-up to that as to how to keep the conversation going. So this is part two to don't let Rona ruin your relationships. So in this segment, I just like to give like some helpful like mental health tidbits, relational tidbits, uh self or squad care tidbits that you can use uh to get through. And we need those now more than ever, or at least I know I do. So um, I just wanted to do this one because I, I thought it was like light and um something that might be really timely and helpful. So I've been um, swiggy swiping away on all the apps, <laughs> and um, and outside, even outside of like the apps and like trying to meet new people um, for like friendships or otherwise. I've also been trying my hardest to check in and keep in touch with friends, um, and I kept getting stuck in like conversations. And I realized, like, oh, my gosh, I know strategies for, like, keeping conversations going because I'm a therapist. And there have been really painful sessions that I've had where I've had to drag it out to an hour. Like, you will never know how long an hour is until you have to get a teenage boy to talk about anxiety. I'm I'm telling you. So, um, So this is, like, a mix of, like, my own strategies that I use to keep conversations going. Um, not that your conversations with people you love and care about should feel like a session, hopefully. Um, but just to like, you know, keep the energy there when you're trying to talk to somebody. Um, yeah. So these are some, a mix of my own suggestions and, uh, actually an article from Medium about, um, how to keep conversations, uh, lively on apps, right? Like how to not make it, how to not fall into the rut of, like, conversations on apps, right? So um, here are some suggestions. I have a list for y'all. So the first suggestion I have for um, keeping conversations going during uh, distance dating or distance connection is to avoid the repetitive questions and instead share and then hit them with a, what about you? So what I mean by this is y'all know the, uh, routine, repetitive, uh, monotonous conversation starters like, Hey, how are you? How was your day? Where are you from? What do you do? Like those, you know, the small talk conversation-y things, um, Sometimes people get burnout out of answering those questions. Um, and so instead of hitting people with those, share a little bit about yourself, whatever you feel comfortable, and then ask a follow up like, what about you or um, can you relate to that? Have you ever experienced that? So you might want to like if I was doing this, I'd be like, oh, I actually have a podcast called Queer Walk and and I listen to a lot of podcasts. What about you? You know, and then you actually have a conversation going where it can be, um, you know, it flows back and forth. The second suggestion for how to not let Rona ruin your relationships, is to share a funny anecdote. Um, Sometimes, let's let's say you didn't take heed to my first suggestion and you hit them with the how was your day or so tell me about yourself and now you can't find a place to go from their answer or from that answer that maybe you gave. Sharing a funny anecdote is always like a really cute, quick way to like restart a conversation. Um... So maybe, ooh, I was uh trying to spray Lysol on my package and, and accidentally got some in my eye. Uh, you know, like, like something that somebody can respond to, um, or like a funny thing that you heard or saw that um that might get people responding, um, or laughing. Just bring some joy to somebody's day, uh, even though getting Lysol in your eye is not funny. <laughs> it's funny for other people. It's not a game for you. Trust me, I know from experience. <laughs> the third suggestion I have for keeping conversations going, um, is to move it to the phone. Um, sometimes, uh, texting can just feel stiff because you can't read, um, tone over text. So it's like hard to respond when it's flat. Right. So you don't know how they meant it. You can't really catch sarcasm or um, like, you know, all the intonations and stuff that come along with uh, conversation. You know, 70 percent of our communication is like not actually the words that are being spoken. It's all the the other stuff. Right. So sometimes moving it to the phone is uh, like a a better way to have a more flowy conversation. Um, so if you're cool with moving it to the phone from texting and trying to keep the conversation going that way, that might be helpful. The fourth suggestion I have for continuing conversations is to ask their advice on something that they're interested in. Um, first of all, that shows that you paying attention to them because you picked up an interest, um, that they have and like, ask them about it not in the, can I pick your brain about that? Oh my gosh, there's nothing. (laughs) I do not like that. Like, um, not in the pick your brain way. Right. So, um, maybe just ask them to like, tell you more about something they're interested in, or if it's a common interest and y'all have overlap, you, you have something that you can plug in and say, right. So for example, I'm really into crystals. So if somebody was uh, asking me, like, oh, what kind of crystal would you suggest for anxiety, right? Like that, because I have some for sleeping, and I'm wondering if they would help or something like that, you know? Or do you prefer raw crystals or polished crystals? Um, what do you use your tumbles for? Like that's, we have overlap. Don't get me started talking about crystals because I can go all day, Right. So ask advice on something they're interested in. The fifth way to keep a conversation going is to change the subject. (laughs) Um, Maybe not like mid-sentence or really abruptly, but when all else fails, change the subject. Uh, If you have, if y'all have exhausted this topic, maybe try a new one. (laughs) I know it sounds simple, but it really does help. Um, If y'all have been messaging back and forth about the weather, for example, because it is still snowing in Syracuse, um, (laughs) and like everybody can't believe that it's 30 degrees outside and snowing at the end of April, and y'all have talked about that for like the last hour, try changing the subject and see where the conversation goes. Suggestion number six that I have for keeping the conversation going is take advantage of current events special occasions, and or holidays to kickstart a conversation. Um, So, for example, um, sometimes when I log onto Twitter, I just log right back off because it feels like (laughs) there's a huge conversation happening that I missed the start of and everybody is, like, talking about it, right? Um, You can use that same energy, that same Twitter energy, in your... Like, conversations with people, um, your intimate conversations, your one-on-one conversations. So, when Twitter be going up about something that happened, that's everybody, like, taking advantage of a current event, a special occasion, a holiday, or, like, something that some celebrity did to talk to each other. We can do that in one-on-one conversations. We can do that in group chats, you know? Something happens, it sparks a conversation. Um, Try it. Yesterday. Yesterday was Earth Day. Um, And I saw so many people posting the most beautiful pictures of outside Uh, (laughs) and because outside is shut down right now. Like it just was amazing. It was like the perfect opportunity to hop in somebody's like comments or DMs or um, email, whatever way you feel. Um, comfortable, to talk to them about it. And you know what's funny? On all these apps, everybody has in their bio that they love outdoors, they love hiking, um, and a lot of us are shut off from those things right now. So taking advantage of Earth Day to talk about your favorite trails that you like to hike um, and things like that can really spark a conversation. My seventh suggestion is plan together. Um, This it's probably the most earth sign suggestion i've ever given but <laughs> plan something together uh nothing like a riveting conversation working out details <laughs> um whether you're planning like a watch party a book club um a social distance walk a video date um Whatever it is, um, like, working out details together and then, like, actually doing that thing can can be the start of an amazing friendship. Um, if I can plan something with somebody, I know that we can get along because I can't plan stuff with much people. <laughs> you know, some call it controlling. I call it um, particular. So... <laughs> So uh, when I can plan with somebody, I know that this is a good relationship and it's going to go somewhere. And last but not least, if it ain't a flow, let it go. (laughs) What I mean by this is if you've tried all these things and the conversation still feels really stale, um, or maybe you've just tried two of these things and it feels really stale, If it's not reciprocal, if you give in your best uh, conversational efforts and and you get in these short answer replies, then it's not reciprocal. Um, So let it go. That's what I mean by flow. Flow doesn't mean that it's easy. Like, oh, I can just effortlessly talk to this person, which is also a flow. And I love that. But um, sometimes conversations are work, especially if you're new to each other. Um, What I mean by flow is that it's like a ping pong ball. It's bouncing back and forth. Like you do it, I do it. You do it, I do it. If it's flowing like that, or if somebody is at least like responding quickly or showing some kind of like, yes, I want to talk to you, then that's signs to hold on. But if it ain't happening, let it go. And that's okay. There's so many millions of other people Who are looking for connection right now. (laughs) So just like a quick. Rundown again. Of ways to keep conversations going. During distancing. Avoid the repetitive questions. And instead share. And then hit them with a. What about you? Number two. Share a funny anecdote. Number three. Move it to the phone. Number four. Ask their advice on something they're interested in. Number five. When all else fails, change the subject. Number six, take advantage of current events, special occasions, or holidays to spark a conversation. Number seven, plan together. And last but not least, if it ain't a flow, let it go. And now I'm going to throw it back. To the word from episode 40, which was L words, um, which is so fitting because I changed the alliteration for Nikita's segment uh, to our lesbian luminary labor lecture from Nikita. And the reason why I'm going to throw it back to the episode 40 uh, word is, first of all, you should go check out episode 40. And second of all, um, Nikita's not here. She's working them 12, seven days a week. Um, thirdly, our next episode will actually come out after May Day. So I wanted to put it in here so we can all hear the radical roots of May Day, which is the real Labor Day. And in this time where people are being called essential but being treated as replaceable and, um, and, like, superfluous uh, populations, I definitely want to uplift um, workers and everything that I've learned from um, Nikita about labor organizing and what what we have as, like, folks of color, queer folks contributed to labor movements because I think a lot of times when people hear, like, labor fights and labor struggles, like, it just has this really... Um, working class white dude connotation. And so I really love Nikita for always reminding us, always, always, that we've been here. These have always been our struggles um, and that we live within the results of um, organizing, right? So um, what what is that quote? Like, you only get what you're organized to ask for. Like, that is what we see because of May Day. So I'm going to throw it back to her word from episode 40 and let's get into it intro me um welcome to the word with nikita <laughs> <Is> that-
1: <laughs> i gotta prefer that welcome to the word
0: with nikita i feel like we need to record chao saying your name oh my god it. he's so cute yeah he is he's adorable little radical baby kita kita
1: oh, he's so cute <laughs> And this week on the Word
0: with Nikita, the word is you ain't Fraser Crane, bitch. Stop. Maybe I am. I might just be a Fraser Crane in the making.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that, that was the um that 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 version is still on the cutting room floor. Anyway, so this week's word is Mayday, also known as. International Workers' Day. So by the time you all listen to this episode, actually, it's even past today. So May Day, International Workers' Day, is on May 1st. Kind of like, there's starting, obviously, to be a theme here and all these, I feel like a lot of these holidays, I'm always like, imagine that they have anarchists or socialist roots. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm really indoctrinating here. <laughs> So, um, international. It's it's almost
0: as if you have a socialist agenda.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Specters. Uh, Anyway, so International Workers' Day is um, the real Labor Day, not that bullshit that is celebrated in the US in September, but this is the real uh, Labor Day that's celebrated around the world. And um, like most of the holidays I talk about, it does, in fact, have anarchist and socialist roots. So back in the late 1800s, so um, in the 1880s, there was a huge push and a huge fight to shorten the workday to eight hours a day. So, I mean. Imagine. Increasingly now, like people don't even work don't even work, work 8 40, hours a day. right yeah. but that was it was an important victory um mm-hmm. that was won um from the labor movement broadly but it was it was a demand especially pushed um by radicals within the um, labor movement so at that time people were working i mean unfortunately not like un, not unlike today people would be working 10 12 or 14 hours a day mm-hmm. so kind of the the economic backdrop of the 1880s is that there was this economic boom that was happening in the country. And so workers were saying, because there is, like, this economic boom uh, boom, and there is this wealth to be spared, instead of having, you know, workers work 10, 12, 14 hours, then the demand was on employers to hire more workers. And so mm-hmm. that that way, uh, more amount of workers could work less amount of hours.
0: Yes. Right? I just... Go ahead. I mean, I think people... I, don't, I mean, I know definitely... I won't say people. I won't externalize it. It's me. Like, I... Don't realize enough. Like when you say these were like radical thoughts in their time, because because of these movements, they are so everyday to us right now. Right. So to think that somebody was at work, they like, bitch, I'm in i four- I'm in hour fourteen, and somebody was like, you know what? They should hire more people. And somebody else was like, whoa, 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 <laughs> Cut that shit out. <laughs>
1: um. And it, but it's it's also interesting that you mentioned that though because. And one of the articles that I was reading in preparation for this, there was, a, a, there was the, a left wing of the movement that I was actually, it was a group of anarchists that were saying that that demand is actually too um, reformist. They were like, this isn't going to get us any closer to like overthrowing capitalism. So on the one mm-hmm. hand, you have some people that are like, whoa, 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 this is too much. <laughs> and some people have been like, we got to speed this shit up. Yeah. right?" But the the important thing, I think the what what you're getting at is that you just kind of think, It's very easy to just think that this stuff is, like, arbitrary and it's random and it comes from nowhere. But it's, like, these were, like, really hard-won and fought um, demands.
0: Or the opposite, that, like, somehow some benevolent, like, uh, owner of a business was like, You know what, you guys? We should only work them eight hours a day. They look so tired. (laughs) Right. It's like, people fought for this. Workers fought for this.
1: this. This reminds me of one of my favorite slogans that I, uh learned recently so there's this group the national it's like the one of the groups one of the chapters in the michigan of the national welfare rights organization one of their slogans is we were we will only get what we're organized to take damn and and so that to your point like nobody's going to be giving us shit. like we have to be organized to Mm -hmm. get the things that we want and deserve Mm -hmm. Um, so, anyway, in 1884, uh, there was an organization of workers called the Federation of Organized Trades and Labor Unions. And so, in 1884, at its national convention, um, this is when they said, you know, May 1st, this is a, by May 1st of 1886, this is when we want to win the eight-hour workday. Oh, I love that. Um And so the the next year, they said they wanted the way that they followed up was they're like, we're going to have a wave of strikes and demonstrations. And so by 1886, almost 300,000 workers went on strike across 13,000 different businesses. And it was actually successful because the interesting thing is that it was some workers. Um, that had just even threatened their employers with mm-hmm. going on strike. And then the employers, like, immediately mm-hmm. conceded. Mm-hmm. And then some or some workers were saying, "We're what we're going to do is, um, some groups of workers didn't go on strike, but they're like, we're going to go in at eight, and then we're going to leave mm-hmm. by four. And so them taking that action, that collective wow. action together, wow. that um, for yeah. some workers, some employers. Like, we're
0: just going to give ourselves an eight-hour
1: work. Right, right, yeah. right. Um, and so... The important, um, one of the key cities and the key um, epicenters of this um, wave, this strike wave, this wave of strikes and demonstrations was in um, Chicago. So when 300,000 workers um, in across the U.S. went on strike and about like 40,000 of those workers uh, were on strike in um, Chicago. So, that happened um, on May 1st, and then a few days later, on May 3rd in Chicago, there was a group of workers who had actually been on strike at this place called the McCormick Reaper Works. It was a plant in Chicago. They had been on strike since February. They had our, And then uh, there was this um, entity, this private um, company called the Pinkertons, and so it was a really na- vile, nasty, um, armed thugs. And so um there was a there was the workers at the mccormick reaper works they were on strike and then other workers who went on strike um in the May Day uh strike wave mm. they had joined these workers at this plant and so the i brought up the pinkertons to say that the pinkertons had been harassing and brutalizing the workers from this mccormick uh plant that had been on strike since february so like Police, you know, haven't just, like, historically been vicious to, uh, you know, black people and, like, people of color. But, I mean, the reality is that they're vicious and brutal against any group of op- oppressed or exploited mm-hmm. people. It or even whether it's the, the... property owner. Whether it's the police mm-hmm. or um, private um, security companies. So, they had gone on strike and then, uh, you know, 200 workers had joined this uh, these McCormick workers. And so... Um, the police then uh, proceeded to beat workers who were striking. <laughs> they beat them with, they beat the um, people who had joined the McCormick workers, and then in response, like some some strikers had uh, thrown stones at the police, and then the police responded by firing um, guns, five rounds. Yeah, and two workers actually ended up uh, being killed, and so after this, um, you know, wave of police. Um, violence that was uh, meted out against the workers they decided to have a a public meeting in in this in a square and this square was called the Haymarket Square and so there was a group because people were outraged at what had happened the day before so there's a group of radicals again it's a lot of anarchists you know that are holding like public speeches and so two detectives and so the on the May first or on the May third there was tens of thousands of workers, but at this um, haymarket uh, public demonstration it was a, it was a smaller amount of. People than than that than they had anticipated and then they had hoped for. So as it was a smaller crowd, and even as the the event was coming to a close, people had like petered out. But there was two detectives that there was one of the uh, speakers, um, Samuel Fielden, was speaking. Two detectives said that he was there, basically trying to incite a riot. So those two detectives go back to the police force and they say that he's using inflammatory language. So, yet again, the police stormed the crowd. You gotta be kidding me. So, they stormed the crowd, and at some point, they never find out who, but someone threw a bomb um, in the crowd, right? And so, so then they put eight anarchists on trial, and they were supposed to receive the death penalty. And For and sh- striking? So, they went on strike, yeah, for, for going, for participating in these demonstrations. Yeah. And so the subtext that they used was that the eight, um anarchists that you know that they um arrested they charged them with um throwing the bomb but it's not a coincidence that like, it was the radicals in the crowd that were um that were being targeted oh and if you look i can't remember uh where i read it but w- like i think the prosecutor um in this case when uh, these uh when they put these guys on trial they were saying that they basically needed to go on trial because they needed to it was basically what they did was basically like an attack on America and it was an attack on the values and they were trying to turn the whole society upside down. So they were pretty clear about what the real reason about why this why these uh, particular like eight um anarchists were um put on trial. And so they were um so I
0: think one of them ended up getting um I just love it when you give us the history of it because of all of these things that we, you know, kind of just like do today. Um, because it fucking repeats. So, it's like they copy and paste history. Yeah. Inciting a riot. How many motherfuckers we know that's like, oh, inciting a riot, right, riot in Charlie, jail? Yeah. Right. Oh my gosh. All the defendants
1: were convicted and, um, all except one were given, um, a death sentence. I think later on down the line, a few of them might have been- Um, their sentences were either commuted or they got pardoned. I think it was, um, their sentences, um, were commuted, but it's, (coughs) again, the state was very clear on why they were attacking, um, these group of workers. And so the prosecutor says law is on trial. Anarchy is on trial. These men have been selected, picked out by the grand jury and indicted because they are the leaders. So again, the, the, the whole thing about the bombing was like a pretense. It was a the bullshit. And yeah. they, they probably did it. They are no more guilty than the thousands who followed them. Convict these men. Make examples of them. Hang them and you save our institutions and our society. So the prosecutor in the case was very clear. Like he, he, didn't, he didn't mince words <laughs> right, about right. why um, these groups of workers... Um, these radicals were being targeted, and and again, and it seems very basic, and like yeah. a fight over like the mm-hmm. eight hour workday, and so there was so one of the going back to like the eight hour workday, it wasn't just about the eight hour workday, but they were like we need eight hours for work, eight hours for leisure, and eight mm-hmm. hours of rest, mm-hmm. right? One of the things I wanted uh, to point out because we always well, there's a, uh, two last things I'll say. One of the um, men who was um, imprisoned or put on trial was. Lucy Parsons' husband, and her husband uh, was Albert... Albert Parsons and Lucy Parsons. I I can't remember if she was indigenous and or um, black, but she's a a radical woman of color. Mm -hmm. And so she and her
0: husband had, um, they actually had lived in the South at one point. You know, I was thinking that when you said this shit happened in Chicago, I was like, yeah, that's because all them folks from from (laughs) the South came up. (laughs) Fuck that shit (laughs) up. So, um
1: it's just I don't know. It's always just feels like important to point out that you know, because like because you I mean like at first glance you be like why the fuck would you know maybe queer women of color care about some labor mm-hmm. strike that happened in you know the late 1880s? But it's like well you know woman of color you know was there Lucy First of Parsons. all because we've been here. Second
0: of all because we've been queer. Right. Third right. Of all, right. We've been workers. Exactly. They're <laughs>
1: still our workers. Uh, but the thing I was going to say about Lucy and uh, her husband, Albert, is that at one point they had lived in the South and they had this, like, small radical publication arguing that, like, black folks, uh, particularly, like, f- people, like, formerly enslaved uh, folks, you know, deserve basic rights. Mm-hmm. And so it's, like, it's always important to, like, point out that... Because, you know, there's, like, a lot of times we think about anarchism, socialism, that these radical, like, working... Like, working class or, like, worker histories, like, they don't include people of color. Yeah. Um. So even if it's, like... Actual, like, women of color, like, themselves, like, Lucy Parsons, and or there are, there have been, like, some solid, like, radical whites that have actually, you know, been in the struggle and, like, Mm -hmm. provided real comradeship, you know, to the struggles Mm -hmm. um, that may not
0: necessarily have affected them. But, to go ahead. No, I was just going to really quick say, and and, uh, it also erases, like, the, the, like, coalition work between, like, radical uh, women of color because... Um, uh, I was thinking about like Grace Lee Boggs and like when they were oh, right. basically hunting down communists and um, how like a uh, like a lot of Asian women were targeted in that, but then also like the Black women and Indigenous women that they were organizing with around like because um, like housing and slumlords shit like impacted all of them because right, of the way poverty exactly, works. Exactly, yeah. your point about the
1: hunting down the communists is really important because in 1921 on um, this is when. This holiday, this made-up holiday was first observed in the U.S. It's called Loyalty Day. And that also falls on May Day. And that was during the period known as the first Red Scare. And it was a direct response to try to replace uh, May Day with Loyalty Day. And the whole thing around Loyalty Day is that people reconfirm or reaffirm their commitment to the United States. (laughs) And in 1955, uh, Congress, like... passed something, and, every, and ever since, even Obama did this, mm-hmm. every year on May 1st, they issue some kind of statement or a proclamation that's been happening since 1955, where they say, you know, this is loyalty day, and people, you know, reaffirm their commitment to, like, quote-unquote, American heritage and American values and that kind of thing.
0: Ain't 1955 the same year as Brown v. Board of Education? Oh, shit, it is. That doesn't seem like a coincidence to me.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it was also during the, the McCarthy uh, attacks on radicals into too. Just the last kind of historical point that I wanted to make, going back to your point about the importance of coalitions, because I was trying to look, I, I don't know what I was trying to look for, but I found that there was this huge like, anti-war demonstration that happened in 1971 <laughs> on May Day. And the Gay Liberation Front, which came out of the... Um, the Stonewall organizing and riots. Um, So there was a a contingent of the Gay Liberation Front that was really adamant about making sure that there was uh, queer or gay folks had a a contingent at this huge um, May Day action in 1971. And so there was actions in New York City, and in Washington DC, and then there was also um, an action on the West Coast in San
0: Francisco. In
1: San Francisco, and so they, there was one committee in in Berkeley, and they called themselves the Gay May Day West. Hey! <laughs> and so it was just really interesting to see. I just read. Um, I just came across this. Um so there's these uh, it was I think it was mostly it was a lot of like uh gay men but they were going out into San Francisco and they were um distributing leaflets and flyers and so um they were handing out flyers that were um calling out like imperialism and against war and this is I think that this is also like really key and really helpful that um, they were also calling out um, sexism and they were going <laughs> downtown and they even like this thing that I read, they were talking about how they didn't have a lot of um, relationships or they didn't have necessarily a base down like in the bars. um in San Francisco, and even though some of them were nervous, they still went out and gave out literature mm-hmm. about why it was mm-hmm. important for uh, gay folks to be um, at this rally, mm-hmm. to be at this march, or why gay men needed to be against sexism, mm-hmm. why they needed to be against anti, uh, why they needed to be against the war. Um, at war and imperialism. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, so they say some men with whom they spoke had never even heard of like the gay um, liberation front. And so, like, again, they were just, they were organizers Mm -hmm. and they were out there, like, trying to raise consciousness. And, like, I just thought that that was a really fun and, like, useful and interesting piece of history. Because you think, oh, well, why, you know. So, this thing happened in, like, 1886. But then you Mm -hmm. see all the way, you know, 1971. Yeah. The way it comes
0: real sharply, like, to the present. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah like post stonewall yeah and you, you said that a, a group of um, like queer folks marched through the streets in Cuba on May Day too so I read
1: this in another article in so in 1995 there was a contingent of queer folks from Northern California that went to um Havana to to, to participate mm. in a um in a May Day parade there, and then at like the opening of the article, and it was like drag queens marching down the street in Cuba. So in this, um, so they had a specifically a queer um, march in Havana, and so they went down, they were marching, and they were they met with organizations and people who did work with people who had HIV. Wow! And so again, <laughs> this this was happening nineteen ninety five, queer folks May Day in Cuba. Damn. Yeah, We should have had a Gay May Day thing. We should have. Maybe next year.
0: Yes. That's what we're we going to work towards for the um, the goal for next year. Is to Gay have May a Day. Gay May Day. Hey. <laughs> 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 All right, y'all. So, I don't have a topic for this segment. Um, usually, you know, we would talk here about all the things that don't fit into the other segments um i just wanted to give a shout out to three podcasts that have been kind of like holding me um over the past couple weeks Uh, and that always make me feel like you know i'm with people even though i'm not with people because i'm responsibly uh physically distancing um so that we can be let outside um Yeah, so y'all already know that, um, like, I love podcasts, uh, specifically the podcast Homies of the Batty Brigade. Um, But lately, I've really been... um, True, Like, so deeply appreciating Marsha's Plate. Um, So, shout out to the whole BBB. Um, but Marsha's Plate specifically always makes me feel like I'm with, like, family and, like, I'm not in a room alone. So, when I'm, like, cooking or doing laundry or just, like, can't find the energy to get off the couch and am sick of trying to find something to watch on Netflix, like, Marsha's Plate is always my fall back like my go-to because it is it's like an antidote for loneliness like um between like laughing and sometimes being on the verge of like crying um because of the topics they talk about like I never feel alone when I'm listening to Marsha's play aside from them being the homies but you know like uh I just love the podcast so um, shout out to the homies at Marsha's Plate. And if you haven't checked out their podcast, you should definitely go do so at Marsha's Plate on all the things. Um, yeah. So that's, you know, my first uh, podcast that's been holding me. The other podcast that I wanted to shout out is Your Gay Aunties. Um, <laughs> they, they Okay. Hanifa and Red have just uh, been consistently putting out funny ass episodes um like the entire year so definitely go check out your gay aunties follow them on instagram um it just helps always to just like see folks who have already survived what you're going through um right now and like um there i don't I guess aunties is the word, right? They're not elders of the community, but definitely like of a different like generation or era of um, like black lesbians than I am. And just hearing them, literally just hearing them talk to one another makes me feel less alone during this time. So um, I love y'all, Hanifa and Red. And if you haven't listened to your gay aunties, go check out your gay aunties. And last but not least, I wanted to tell y'all about a new podcast um from Gabby Rivera who wrote um Juliet Takes a Breath. And if y'all have never read Juliet Takes a Breath, it is one of my favorite books, period, like hands down. Um not just young adult. It is an amazing book, like a coming of age story of like uh, Afro-Latina from the Bronx who has asthma, so was like <laughs> <laughs> relatable on a lot of fronts, um, so um, but Gabby Rivera just came out with a new podcast called Joy Revolution, and it's on all the things, and the very first episode um, Gabby is talking about being, like searching and, and choosing joy um, and it's just, I don't know if like, if the pandemic kicked off, and then Gabby decided that they were going to do this podcast. But I—I I mean, the timing could not be any more perfect. Um, I saw it, it's literally a brand new podcast. So I think they have like two episodes out. Um, and the second one is with Ari Fitz. Who? Whoa! Talk about early throwback YouTube days. Uh, YouTube crush right there. But Joy Revolution, exactly how it sounds, definitely has been making me feel less alone. And the first episode was great. So I am so excited about this season of Joy Revolution. So, yeah, those are my three podcast suggestions uh, to... Help you feel less alone right now Um, And if you have a topic That you want us to cover um, I know we have one that got submitted By Dr. Sammy Thank you, Um, me and Nikita going to jump into That one when Nikita um, has her Fatigue day Um, But if you have a topic that you want us to cover Just hit us up at queerwalkpod At gmail.com Or you can just submit it to the DMs And we will get to the topics (laughs) All right, y'all. And last but not least, um, one of my favorite segments, Curved Chronicles. And the Curved Chronicles segment is where we talk about our dating woes and wins and or your dating woes and wins as queer pox. Um, so we actually have a submitted Curved Chronicle, um, which is kind of, it's kind of like a question too. So I'm just going to read it, um, and then get into it, um my response so because the word was um about mayday i'm just gonna call this person may so may writes i recently found out in high school my boyfriend would meet up with a gay friend of mine in the bathroom and get a blowjob from him there were rumors that made that they made a sex tape and when i started dating him i asked him if this was true and he denied it but my friends told me that it was and to tell him I saw the video. I later told him, don't lie, I saw the sex tape and I knew it was him. He admitted to it and told me he didn't like it and would never do it again, so I believed him. Later on, it came out, it happened multiple times and I asked him again about it and he said the same thing, that he didn't like it and it was a mistake and so forth. I was clearly bothered by it And it took me, it took a lot for me to not think about this. Flash forward two years of dating and we are now in college and a friend of ours both told me my boyfriend made a secret Snapchat to contact the gay man and showed me that there was a video on the site of the gay man giving a blowjob to an unknown guy, which kind of looked like his dick and was also in a bathroom, but I couldn't tell. I couldn't get it out of my head and I of course asked him and he denied this, but he seemed very convincing. What do I do? Is my boyfriend gay or bisexual? Okay, May. Well, y'all, um <laughs> you can send your curve chronicles to QueerWalkPot at gmail.com. All right, so um May, first of all, you end this um okay, all right. So you in this, is, it feels like your biggest um, takeaway from these experience, this experience. You've been in this relationship, let me count it up, the years. The years, chow. Um, at least four years, by my count, of this um, short letter that you wrote us. Um, and your concern is, is your boyfriend gay or bisexual? Chow. Um, my biggest concern is that you've been in a relationship for multiple years with someone who lies to you like that, (laughs) that like, it's not about his sexuality. It's about the fact that he has hid sex tapes. He's obviously engaged in like sex with other people and has not told you that in and of itself is the core of like, relationship issues here not necessarily his sexual orientation right because um yeah because if he's lying about this that there's um video evidence of what else is he lying to you about like that's that's my questions in this situation (laughs) um and I understand that y'all started dating in high school and then it, like, went to college. And I guess you're, like, halfway through college right now, so you're young. Um, <laughs> and so I'm going to tell you right now that the, the biggest thing that you should be focusing on or concerned about is not necessarily how your boyfriend is um, identifying um, as far as orientation because, you know... People, this could, you don't know, this could be a paid Snapchat that he's getting checks for. <laughs> um, this, you know, this this could be any situation, right? Um, but what concerns me the most is that this was hidden from you and that he lied about it when you asked him about it. Um, so in that situation, what should you do? Um, me personally... I I just think that where there's smoke, there's fire. So if you would lie to me about something like this that my friends have seen video evidence of and that is clearly, clearly a lie, there's there's just no end to what you will lie to me about. And I cannot be in a relationship with a liar. So I think you have to assess like how much deceit you're willing to tolerate. Um and if you will if you are willing to continue a relationship with somebody who who, like, lied to you in your face. Like, <laughs> there is video evidence, sir. And you still lied about it. Um, Yeah, so that's the biggest thing for me here, May. Also, shout out to your friends for holding you down because they, um like, told you about it. This is reminding me so much of, like, one of my uh relationships where, like, everybody would tell me that my partner was cheating on me. And I just, like, didn't believe it because I was young as well. Um, but my friends were definitely good friends through that. They, they was not out here like, well, that's her business, you know? (laughs) Um, so shout out to your friends for, for being like, uh, girl, what is, what is you doing child? Like your man is out here with all the sex tapes from high school, from college, all the sex tapes. Okay. Um, okay. So that, that was my first thing is that The concern should be about being lied to and um, deceit, not (laughs) his orientation. Secondly, what kind of relationship have y'all agreed to? Like, what are the terms and conditions, (laughs) for lack of a better way of saying it, of your relationship? Because you didn't really say, like, after you found out about the sex tape, and him getting head in the bathroom in high school. Y'all didn't break up. You said flash forward two years. So, you stayed with him two years after you found out about that. Is this a is this a breach of y'all's agreement like that? Do y'all have an understanding around um sex like that y'all can have sex with other people and this is just an issue for you because he's having sex with a guy? Um or like what like what is the issue? Like what's the what's the real tension here like is it that it is a guy he's having sex with or or that this this is cheating as defined by the way y'all talked about it for your relationship um because if it's that it's a guy then I think um you and him have more stuff to talk about yeah because if y'all have agreed that you can have sex with other people and you're taking issue with the fact that the other people are people who happen to be the same gender as him um that that is problematic <laughs> um but maybe he did he didn't tell you about his um like attraction to men and that he would be having sex with men if y'all have an open relationship um but to have a have a problem with the person that they're having sex with just because their gender is an issue you know that's like Um, like kind of fucked up. If y'all, if y'all agreed to have an open relationship, um, then, then the relationship is open. Um, I don't, I think you're at, um, like equal emotional risk of regardless of the gender of the person. So it sounds like y'all just have a lot more to talk through. In this flash forward two years. Like, because are you going to flash forward two more years from here. And still be um, side-eyeing him. About lying about the video. (laughs) You know, it's like what. What really is the core of like what feels like the injury to the relationship here. Yeah. Y'all just have more to talk about. Because um, he, he can probably sense that you will have an issue with him um being attracted or at, at admitting to you that he likes it cuz he keeps saying that he doesn't like it but then it keeps happening um that it's just about it being a guy um like it it just sounds like in the way you wrote it that that's the hang up for you that this is another guy um, not that he's cheating <laughs> or is is this cheating like is this a breach of what y'all agreed to in the relationship so if it's um, just that it's another guy he, he probably knows that you feel that way um, about it and is not telling you because of that so y'all just have like more to talk about and also that's kind of fucked up if y'all have agreed to an open relationship and the only issue you're taking with it is that the person's gender um if like he's attracted to multiple genders um and girl you talking about uh this guy who kind of looked like his you know you've been from my count in this letter at least three years bare minimum you've been with this person you know what that abdomen and that uh genital area region look like you know if it's him or not in the video <laughs> Um, it's a different thing if you want to tell yourself that it's not him, you know, like you don't want to believe that he's still, um, making sex tapes, but it sound like it, it sound like it may sound like your, your boy is still making sex tapes. Um, and you, if you can't get it out your head, um, you have to talk to him about it. This can't be another flash forward situation, um, cause it's just going to haunt the relationship. Um, and then it's going to turn into resentment around other things. Um, yeah. So you have to talk to him about it. If you decide that this is a relationship worth her- holding on to, which I will just be completely honest, I'm not staying with somebody who blatantly lies to me. Like that, like <laughs> that is clip. It's clip right there. Um, but if you decide that this is something you want to fight for, you have to. Um, explicitly talk about what it is that has hurt you in this situation, and um, let him know that you've seen the video, because I don't even, that's not even in here, um, that you've seen this uh, Snapchat, Um, and where do you go from here? You know, one of my favorite uh, relationship um, therapists, Esther Perel, she's like, she got a popping ass podcast, too, that you might want to check out. It's called Where Do We Begin with Esther Perel. Um, I see, like, a lot of people are reading her book right now. It's called Mating in Captivity. It's a really, like, fun relationship read. It's not, like, self-helpy or too therapy that you fall asleep when you read it. I would suggest you read that book. It's called Mating in Captivity. Um, But one thing that she always says is when there's like a betrayal in a relationship, um, that relationship is broken and both people have to decide whether they want to rebuild a new relationship or keep that broken relationship or exit. Right. You got three choices. You keep a broken relationship, you fix and start new or you exit. That's where you at right now, May? What you want to do? You want to flash forward two years, still not being able to get it out your head that your boyfriend was on Snapchat, getting it popping. Do you want to have a different type of relationship with your boyfriend where there is honesty, where he knows that this hurt you and you rebuild anew from there where y'all have an agreement about openness or closeness, where he is um, open enough and feels supported enough to tell you about his um, sexuality? Or is it over? Like those, those to me are the three choices, you know? So I hope any of that helped, even if it's just the takeaway of the last question is not, is your boyfriend gay or bisexual? Um, It's, is he lying to you? And that answer is yes. So <laughs> so you have choices to make from here. Um, so let us know, May. Um, and if y'all have feedback for May, or if you have been in a similar situation, or if Gen Z want to chime in on this, please use the hashtag QueerWOC um, to let May know y'all feedback. Because, you know, that's just my interpretation of the situation um, while I hope it's helpful, you know, I am merely one relational therapist giving, <laughs> giving my um, my opinion from a, a person who has been cheated on and um, from, like, relational work with folks. So, well, y'all, I guess that is this episode of Queer Walk, and <laughs> this has been Money the unlicensed <laughs> mental health um, therapist, and yes, I am con- continuing to be unlicensed because I was supposed to be taking my licensure exam, and it got canceled because of Rona, and New York State is tripping, and they basically like, well, girl, either pay us more money to take it again, which is not cheap. Um, it's three seventy five, so <laughs> they're like, either pay us to take it again or um, quit. And I'm like, how about I do neither and just say fuck y'all and hold my healing spaces and do what I want because I've been doing this for way too long Um, and licensure is a scam in New York. So, (laughs) Um, yeah, but those are my problems. Anyway, I hope you all enjoyed this episode and hit us up on all the things. And I will see you on Instagram Live pretty soon with the Gilda stories. (laughs) All right, y'all. Deuces.